God's house. It's a good day to hang with God's people, and uh, and I'm excited about what's been going on so far in our conference. I want to welcome all of you. Uh, my name is Randy Estelle. I'm Vice President of the Southeast Region of the Fellowship Network, and it's a delight, uh, very big honor to have our President, Steve Holder, here for this conference. And he didn't have to come too far, but he didn't have to come, and he did. So thank you, Steve, for that. Praise the Lord. And uh, I, I, I always feel like it's a dangerous thing to invite a preacher to preach. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? You know, we got a whole bunch of them today. We got a whole lineup, boom, 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 boom. But I enjoyed very much last night. I thought that our sister Joe Naughton did a wonderful job, and uh, she's coming in here in just a minute. They, they were trying to find them, my wife, and, and she were at the hotel, and uh, we had our wires crossed, but they'll be coming in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but I, I, I've gotten into where I'm preaching more and more these days. You know, I used to do concerts all the time, and that was my, a big part of my ministry. And I would minister in the Word as, as a part of that, but not necessarily always a sermon or a full message. You know, a lot of times I just give a sermonette. You know, I play a bunch of music and then tell some kind of a spiritual principle or share something like that. But these days, since we founded a church back five years ago, I'm doing a lot of preaching. So I don't know if I'm getting any better at it, you know, but I'm, I'm enjoying it, that's for sure. And I sure believe in the power of the Word of God, and I believe in proclaiming the Word of God, prophesying the Word of God, projecting the Word of God, because the Word is what pushes back darkness, and the Word is what brings liberation to people. How many know I'm telling the truth? Because the Bible says, you know, the truth shall make you free. But then the question is, well, what is the truth? I mean, the truth shall make you free, and that's the message of the Fellowship Network. That's the message of the churches and the ministries, the marketplace folks that are involved in our organization. Our message is the truth will make you free. But the question is, what is the truth? The whole world is asking, what is the truth? And, of course, Jesus defined it very well from two perspectives. At one point, he was praying to the Father, and he said to God the Father, Thy word is truth. So for me, that settles it. I, I put a lot of my confidence in the Word of God because I know it's the truth. And, of course, Jesus personified truth, and he said, I am the truth. That's why whenever John wrote about him, he wrote about the Word that was in the beginning, and he talked about the fact that this Word is Jesus Christ. So this is our proclamation, the truth. Hallelujah. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that today, but, you know, I, I, I heard Robert Morris, he's a minister that I like to listen to sometimes down in Texas, talking about preachers, you know, and he said he got up when he was a young preacher, told a joke. He said he got up and said, he said, you know how, how you're going to know there's going to be no women in heaven? Because the Bible says there's going to be silence in heaven for 30 minutes. <laughs> and so he had a little lady came up and tugged him on a jacket. And said, well, Pastor Robert, if that's true, there won't be any preachers in heaven either. Come on, how many know I'm telling the truth? So I, 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 thought, I thought that was pretty good. I, I enjoyed that. But <clears throat> I wanted to just say a word before I get into the scriptures. And I'm going to go to the book of Numbers and talk to you a little bit about Balaam today. But I wanted to talk to you briefly about um, uh, the fellowship and what it means to me, the fellowship network, what kind of a blessing it's been in our lives. And um, I remember uh, being in San Antonio, and we had just launched a school for arts and media ministry. We're involved in a number of different aspects of ministry, which include me traveling and doing concert work, the church that we launched five years ago, uh, where I serve as lead pastor. I also have a great uh, associate that helps me there. 
along with a wonderful growing congregation. And then, of course, we're involved in the fellowship. And we also have a Circle School of Arts, Circle Christian Arts Academy. We started with seven students back eight years ago, and we're up to pushing 100 students in that school now, training them in arts and media development, filmmaking, music, dance, movement, acting, all those things in a Christian context. And when we were in San Antonio, we were just starting, and boy, was it a shaky kind of a situation. We were, we were worried about finances. We were worried about where we were going to meet. The school was, you know, kind of tenuous at that point, and we didn't know exactly how it was going to develop. And um, so uh, I was in a meeting down there, and uh, this young fellow came up and started prophesying to me uh, in that meeting by the name of Don Arnold. How many know that young fellow, Pastor Don Arnold, and God used him in such a powerful way and uh, spoke to me and said that there's going to be a specific man, a singular man that will come, and he will be key to you prospering. And he gave me a word from the Lord. How many are looking for a word from the Lord? How many know you're going to get in circumstances where the only thing that's going to really help you is a word from the Lord? Am I telling the truth, yes or no? You're going to need, at some point, you're going to need a word from the Lord. A word from the preacher is not going to help you. A word from a politician is not going to help you. A word from an educator is not going to help you. There's a lot of things not going to help you. But a word from the Lord can turn the tide. And this week, I think here at this conference, during our conference, there are many people receiving already a word from the Lord, and that's what we're praying for. But he gave me a word from the Lord about this gentleman who's going to come on board and was going to support and help us to prosper as an organization. Pastor Don, you probably don't remember that. I don't know if you remember that. I know you've given a lot of words down the years, but that was so meaningful. I wrote it down in my journal that I had for that conference, and I still have that. I, I believe that was 2012. I want to say 2012, I believe it was. But uh, and it was very shortly after that that we got word from a gentleman who told us that was not a part of our ministry, was not a part of our, but he was going to start a monthly check every month, every month, a very substantial check to support the work of that school. That gentleman has stuck with it now all these years. Every month we get it in the mail on the 16th. You can count on it unless it's a Sunday. It's going to arrive on the 16th. And that was really the difference in our organization, serving Jesus, raising up young people in the arts and media, making a difference in the next generation, was that word from the Lord and the fact that that word from the Lord was honored by God, and we have that support, and it's still continuing to this day. And I'm just standing up here giving God praise for what he's doing. And he can do the same thing in your organization, in your church, your ministry, your evangelistic outreach, whatever it is you're doing, trust God. And look for a word from the Lord. Because if God gives you that word, you can take it to the bank. Praise the, praise the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you about that. And then there's many times that I've called different friends in the fellowship. Uh, I've called Gene Evans a bunch of times. Don Westbrook a bunch of times. Talked to others that I've needed advice. Steve Holder many times. There are people who have been able to speak into my life and made an incredible difference in our ministry based on wisdom and based on their uh, association and their familiarity with the things of God and with the anointing of God working in their lives and working through them to minister to Lisa and me and our whole team and our whole organization. The fellowship network to me has been a huge difference, a huge difference. And it was in San Antonio that the Lord spoke to me about providing leadership in this, this century, providing leadership, stepping up, and doing what needed to be done. 
And I felt like we were doing that, but I didn't know God was going to take it to a whole nother level, but he did. You know, and I, I was reading, I'm a biography guy. I like to read history. I'm a history person. And I was reading a couple biographies of, of George Washington, and one of those stories in there told me, really spoke to me about that, about leadership. And some of you, if you're here and you've got ministry happening in your life, you've got to be a leader. Say amen. You've got to step up and you've got to set the pace. And so I want to just say to you, you know, I was reading along and caught this story about George Washington, who was noted for being very brave. George Washington, the founder of the nation uh, in terms of the presidency, one of the founders of our country, he was very brave. And they had, of course, a, a battle, uh, which I don't really like to bring up with Joe Naughton here this morning, but between the British and the American people. But anyhow, <laughs> but we're not holding grudges, praise the Lord. I hope you aren't either. <laughs> so anyhow, but, you know, the... Uh, but 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 he, he was known for staying on his horse among the troops in the midst of the battle. Many times the generals would stay up on the hill over watch, watching the battle, but he would ride down to encourage the troops, and he would stay on his horse above everybody else. How many know that's an easy target? But he was a true leader, and he put himself out there to change the paradigm. And it takes courage. It takes guts. You better have guts if you're in ministry. You better have some grit if you're in ministry. You better have some stick to and you better have some determination in your soul and spirit. That's why you need a word from the Lord because that's what will get your focus where it needs to be. But he came back from one particular battle. I read this in two different biographies. After he had been on that horse amongst the troops, and when he took off his jacket, there were five bullet holes through that jacket. Just grazed him. Because when you put yourself up as a leader, you become a target. You say, well, who's targeting me? Well, primarily, number one culprit is the devil. Satan is going to try to undercut your effectiveness. Satan is going to try to dilute your message. But I'm here to challenge you to stand strong. And I want you to go with me to Numbers, the 22nd chapter. We're going to look at this very strange story, very strange character I mean, he's a mystery in some ways, but this guy named Balaam. And I'm just praying this will speak to each one of you in terms of the strength of your ministry, the strength of your stand for the Lord, the strength of your reliance on the kingdom of God, the work of God, and the word of of God. So we want to look at this guy, Balaam. And one of the things, I I need you to know a few things about him. I want to make sure we understand who he is because he's kind of a mysterious figure in a lot of ways. One of the things that's very clear if you study this is that Balaam, who was known as a prophet, of course, many of us know his name, was not an Israelite. He was not in covenant with Jehovah. He was not a believer in the truest sense of the word. He really was a pagan. And he called Yahweh our God, right, Lord. But he called him Lord amongst many other gods. And so Balaam was fundamentally down in his heart. He He was a pagan. He, he was an enchanter, the Bible says. He has words like uh, the diviner. He relied on spiritism to work out his prophetic gift. He, he was a prophet for hire. That's the second thing I want you to know. He was a prophet for hire. He prophesied, but you made, he, had to be, he had to be paid to prophesy. We can see the evidence of that in Numbers 22.7. And I'm going to do a little Bible hopping here in these few chapters. I want you to follow along so we can get a picture of this guy. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, who had confederated together, departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. 
So they came to the diviner. Who was the diviner? Balaam. They had money to pay him to prophesy, to step into this gifting that he had. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. Now, you're going to see three Bs in this little time we have together here. You're going to see the, the name Balaam. You're going to see the name Balak, who was the king of the, of the Moabites. And then you'll see the, the name Baal, who was an idol, a false god, that they worshipped. And we see more about the character of this guy, Balaam, so relevant to the century we're living in. 2 Peter 2.15 says this, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of who? Balaam. There's always the potential to follow the wrong way, to get off the path, to follow the wrong people, and they follow the way. He's talking about people who wandered away from Christ, wandered away from God's way, and he says they're following the way of Balaam. And what does that is defined as? He who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Do you start to see the character of this guy floating to the surface? And Jude 1.11 goes further. Woe to them who have wandered away. Woe to them who have strayed away. Woe to them who have turned their back on the Lord. I know this is a little heavy for the first thing in the morning, but it seems like the Lord always gives me these kind of messages when I speak to the fellowship. Don't ask me why. I just feel like this is a word burning in my spirit for where we're at as an organization and as a fellowship. And it says, woe to them in Jude. For they have gone the way of Cain, that's bad. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Let me just say this. True, authentic prophets of God are not motivated by money. I remember a guy that I was doing worship in a conference, and the guy, he gave prophetic words to people. He lined them up. And he gave envelopes to people. And if you're going to give $1,000, you got a purple envelope. You're going to give $100, you got a yellow envelope. You're going to give 10 bucks or 20 bucks, you got a red envelope. And then he'd line the people up and prophesy to them. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And one thing I noticed was if you had a purple envelope, meaning you gave $1,000, you got a whole lot longer prophecy than the guy with the red envelope. If you got the red envelope, you just got kicked. Boom, go. God bless. Go. The prophets of God, the people of God, do not have a fundamental motivation oriented around money. You know what happens? If you have the right attitude about money, you can learn this from Gene Evans, you end up being blessed far more than anyone else could ever imagine. And your money will go a lot further, but it's got to be put in the right perspective. And we see a prophet here, and we see it in our world today, people are motivated by the wrong thing. You need to be motivated by the word and by the power of God and by the mission and by souls and just let people know that Jesus is Lord because it's so much fun to tell people. I don't know about you, but I believe we have that kind of spirit. God can make a difference. I think God can break through on some of the darkness we see in our world. The authentic prophets of God have an authentic motivation. And the other thing you're going to need to know about him, he was famous as a cursing prophet. They found a wall excavated in Jordan. And on that wall was a story written from centuries and many centuries ago about Balaam. Isn't it interesting how archaeology constantly confirms the word of God? And they found all these descriptions that matched this story, the thing that happened in Balaam's life. And, And on that, it called him the cursing prophet. He was known as the cursing prophet. How many know in the church of Jesus Christ we not ought to have cursing prophets but blessing prophets? How many believe we ought to be speaking a blessing over the people? 
And there are times when we have to bring a word of judgment. There are times when we have to speak firmly to people. But ladies and gentlemen, it's always toward an end of salvation. And God's always calling people back to himself. And this message that God's put in our hearts and we as a fellowship have got to embrace is not one of cursing. We got enough of that going on in the culture. We got enough of that going on in people's lives. We need something that has a blessing in it. And I believe this conference is doing that already. There were many people blessed here at this altar last night. Carol read a testimony from her phone of somebody whose life was touched incredibly. Joe, you're going to need to see that. It was incredible. And God is working in the church. He's working in Fellowship Network. He's working in our lives. He's working in your ministry. Have faith that God is going to make a difference. But blessings is what it's all about. He was pompous and proud. That's easy to see. That goes without saying. And then I wanted to mention to you that God used him in spite of himself. Say, well, how in the world could God use If the guy really was a pagan, how, how come God would use him? God used all kind of people down through the years. The most terrible, evil kings and potentates, God has manipulated and used them to his own ends. I remember Caiaphas, that evil high priest that looked over and over to condemn Jesus to death. And yet he stood up and he said it is important that one man die that the nation may live. And the spirit in the, in the scripture says he, that he prophesied of Jesus being the high priest. He didn't even know he was speaking the truth of God because it turns out that when Jesus died, he did save the nation. Not only that, he saved the world for everyone who comes to him will be saved and set free and filled with God's potentials and the liberty of the kingdom of God. Caiaphas was no holy man, but the gifts and calling of God are upon him or with him and without repentance. And when he spoke, he didn't realize he was uttering the purposes of God, even though he really had no heart for God at all. So God used Balaam. I remember the witch in Endor, same thing. I won't go into the story. You guys know the story. But God brings Samuel up before Saul. He heard about Saul last night and sealed the deal on Saul, who died the next day. And Samuel prophesied from beyond the grave. God permitted it in that one case. Not the norm. It's prohibited in the Bible for us to seek to speak to the dead. But God, in that one case, allowed Samuel to come up and speak truth. And so but Balaam, he's, God's using him to still teach us today. Now, I want to go to the story very quickly. I don't have a lot of time. And I want to talk about Numbers 22, we're going to start verse 41, which is the last verse of that chapter. And I want to just set the, 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 this in order so you know why I'm speaking to you about Balaam. You've got to realize when Balaam comes along in the Bible, Israel is camped getting ready to enter the promised land. Israel, the people of God, are getting ready, and they're poised to, speak, to step into their future. They're poised to step into their purpose. They're poised to walk out the vision that God has for them and their destiny. They're poised for that. So Balak, remember him, the king of Moab? He sends emissaries to get Balaam because he's terrified. He's heard of the fame of the people of God, the Jews and the Israelites. They're coming with great victories under their belt. They see God's power. They understand and have heard the stories of what God has done for his people. And so Balak says, man, I am shook up. And all the people were shook up. And so he wants a prophet, quote, unquote, to come and curse the Israelites. 
You're getting ready to step into your future. Today's the first day of the rest of your life. God's got you at this conference because he's got something in mind for your future. He's telling you there's some principles and keys that we've got to address in order to move forward healthily and speedily in God and do a quick work in these last days. And so I hope your ears are attuned to the lesson that Balaam has for us because it has a lot to do with the 21st century. And so they send, and I'm not going to go through all the machinations, everything that happened, but they ended up getting Balaam to come back. I guess they offered him enough money, and he did come back. Looking for an opportunity for more funds. Looking for an opportunity for more popularity, more fame. And he comes to do his thing. That's where we pick up the scripture reading, Numbers twenty-two forty-one. I want you to look at this. So it was the next day after he arrived that Balak, the king, took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, the, the idol, the false god, that from there he might observe the extent of the people so he could see the Jews, see those Israelites as they stretched out. Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balaam did just as Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. The Balaam said to Balak, "Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me. Whatever He shows me, I will tell you." You see, it's interesting. You can see very plainly here that he is operating on a pagan paradigm. There's lots of people that will operate outside the preferences of God and yet try to still include God in it. We see it every day. We see that here. How do we know? Because there's no place mandated in tradition, history, the law, or anywhere else where they built seven altars. That was a pagan artifact. That was a pagan practice. Go back and look at all your studies. Look at the scholars. Look at the theologians. You're going to find out we're looking at somebody here who's operating on a pagan paradigm but addressing God. Why did they do that? Because it was, it was designed to impress malleable God. See, you got to understand, these people had a concept of God that's more like Zeus, more like Athena, not like the God who does not change. I am the Lord. I do not change, it says in Malachi. His word is sure. His purposes are steadfast. But these people were used to trying to offer certain things. Uh, uh, How many believe seven of these altars being built and offered upon is probably a little over the top? Is anybody with me? But they were trying with their thoughts of a malleable God, a God that you could impress. I'm going to tell you what, whatever sacrifice you give, that's all well and good, but it does not impress God. The only thing that impresses God is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he's doing in the earth today. The other stuff, yes, if it's according to his word, he takes great care with that. But that's not what impresses him. Some people think by, you know, doing some over-top, over-the-top, this or that, that they're going to somehow get a special place with God. But the Bible says, don't let anybody remove you from the simplicity that's in Christ. It's a simple gospel. We yield our hearts. We yield our lives. We serve God. We walk out our ministry in faith, and we see the victory of God because of it. Not because we did something so extra special, but because our God is extra special. He's incredible. He can move the mountain. 
Well, I love what happens because Balaam brings a response back from God. He goes away after the seven altars. And he does hear from the Lord. How many believe God can speak to somebody who's not near and dear to him? How many believe God can speak to those people? Did you ever hear of Paul on the road to Damascus? I mean, Paul was far away from God. He was persecuting the church. But Jesus spoke to him. God is still speaking today, and he spoke to Balaam. Balaam comes back and reports, Numbers 23.8, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? I, I think Balaam was used to manipulating prophecy, depending on how much money you gave him. But in this case, I think that somehow inside of him, he had just a little bit of fear of the true God. He knew he better not mess with Yahweh. Is anybody here today? And he stuck with the story that God gave him. But notice what happens. Notice what happens just a few verses later. Balak, the king, reacts. I want you to notice this. Because when you bring the word of the Lord, sometimes you're going to get a reaction. And sometimes that reaction is going to be a blessing and beautiful and wonderful. Sometimes that blessing is going to set people free. Sometimes that blessing is going to heal somebody. Sometimes somebody is going to get saved, filled with God's power. Sometimes God's going to change and revolutionize a life because of the message. But you're also sometimes going to get some reaction to it that isn't always so pleasant. And in our century and in our world, you might as well get used to that side of it. And Balak says this in in verse 11. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I told you, I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. He got upset because there was a blessing pronounced. But Balaam realized he couldn't contradict the true God. Even though in his heart it was all fuzzy, even in that heart of his, a pagan heart, he somehow was able to see that he needed to speak the truth. So don't get surprised when people get upset with you when you stand by the truth. When you stand by the truth, it's going to be true that not everybody's going to stand by you. Paul had people, the great apostle, who didn't stand by him and stick with him. Jesus spoke about his body and his blood, and hundreds, maybe thousands, left him. What am I arguing for? I'm arguing for us to stand in the truth, as ministers of the gospel, as the call of the Lord, as a fellowship, as churches and church ministry. This is what we're called to do. Now, that doesn't mean we got to bludgeon people. It doesn't mean we got to hit them over the head with a big old heavy Bible. I think we have to be subtle. We have to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. We got to use wisdom and love. Love is what we lead with. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a world out there that's trying to get you to compromise truth, and you're going to have to get it in your backbone, get some grit and say, I'm standing by the word of the Lord. That's what I'm called to do. I'm a prophet of God, and I don't care what you try to buy me off with. I'm going to stand in God's calling and truth. I'm sorry for shouting so early in the morning, but that's just what you got with me. Come on, somebody. I always call the front three pews in our church the splash zone. Matter of fact, I'm going to have to wipe this off before I give it back to Mark. I am looking forward to hearing from Mark Evans. Every time I hear that man minister, it moves my soul. And I'm just going to stop right now and say, get his book, man. That book is incredible. It's just incredible. But anyhow, let's move on. People will try to buy into your life. And you know what? When they do that, 
they want to pay off. Balak was willing to put out the money as long as he got a payback. But, but, but let me ask you this. How do people buy into our lives? Sometimes it's friendship. I'll be your friend. We can be best buddies, man. We can be best buds. We'll hang out together. We'll go to Starbucks together. We, 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 we make a cool, cool group, you know, all of us together. You know, we'll be friends. Let's be friends until, until maybe something about your life stands up and says, you know, I've got to follow God in this direction. And don't be shocked if sometimes those moments happen. I remember when I was in college, Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, studying piano. I had a very good friend whose name was Frank Johnson. I don't think it matters that I mention his name. There's a lot of Frank Johnsons in the world, but he was a good buddy of mine. We used to go after classes before I practiced four hours a day minimum. Lord help me. And we used to get a sub sandwich usually or some kind of meal, and then we'd go watch a rerun of Star Trek. Come on, is anybody there? That was back in the day when Star Trek was actually kind of new. How many know how old I am right now? Come on, let's, let's just talk for a minute. <laughs> so, and we would do that. Then I'd go practice, you know. And he was a good friend of mine. I mean, brilliant guy, great uh, composer. But in my third year, beginning of my third year of college, I met Jesus dramatically. And I was changed. And I was radically saved. And my heart was revolutionized. And, 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 and. Uh, I had a, I, I went back to school and I was sitting in a practice room practicing and I had a track. How many remember the days of the little tracks, the paper tracks, you know, I had a track in my pocket. Frank walked in the door and he came up to me. I don't know if he heard something. I don't know what, but he came up and he leaned over the piano and he pulled the track out of my pocket. Good friends for two and a half years. And he opened it up, looked at it. And he just dropped it on the floor like this. He gave me a look that would scold you. Turned around, didn't say a word, walked out and never talked to me again. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Thank God not everybody's that extreme in their reaction. But ladies and gentlemen, you're fooling yourself if you think not in this culture, there's not people going to react to you. And yet are you going to stand with him? Are you going to trust God? Are you going to see yourself as a light in darkness that helps people in their hurts and in their wounds? Are you going to see yourself as called of God to go out and speak to the nations? I'm challenging this fellowship, and I challenge all of us to just stand by God's truth. Business partners will do that. They'll, they'll buy in. They'll buy in. They'll buy your affection. They'll, buy, they'll come with their money and say, hey, let's confederate together. Let's work together. We can make a killing. I know a guy that did that. And then when they got into some problems with the business, the Christian guy wanted to operate ethically, but the other guy didn't. He had bought in with his money, but he hadn't bought in with his commitment and soul. And they ended up in court. And the Christian guy getting pounded. Why? Because he wanted to stand by his ethical standards as a Christian. I'm not telling you not to get in business with somebody. God can lead you in that. God sometimes works that stuff out. I'm telling you this. Listen, please get it. People will buy into your life in different ways. And when they buy in, they want something out of it. That's what Balak was doing to Balaam. Sometimes people will buy into your life through love and affection. They'll give you their love. 
This is going on all over our country. It's going on all around the world. People say, hey, well, let's, just, let's just move in together. Let's hang out. You know, let's, and, the, and, the, and that love and affection's potent. And they'll buy into somebody's life. But yet, are they really committed? Are they really all in? I hope you're hearing me. Because oftentimes, that kind of thing falls apart. Why? Why? Because they're not getting out what they want at a particular point, and especially if somebody stands up in the truth, says, I can't go there. Then the love and affection gets pulled back. It gets withdrawn. But those are not the kind of relationships we should have, certainly not in the church or amongst Christians. We ought to be committed to each other, and we ought to love one another. Can somebody say amen? So I, I know, I know I'm, it's a little intense for a first thing in the morning. But I hope it ministers to somebody to recognize your position is so critical. The Bible says that you are the pillar and ground of the truth. You are the church. Are you part of the church, yes or no? How many, wave your hand at me, you're part of the church. You're the church. You're the church. This isn't the church. This is a building. You're the church. And you are the pillar and ground of the truth. Always mixed with love. Always mixed with kindness. Always with compassion. Why do you think we're going to be talking later about our initiative to reach for the children of prisoners in Africa? Because we are motivated by the love of Jesus. But in doing so, we stand by the truth that God is the supreme ruler of the universe, that he sent his son to save the world, and that the Holy Spirit is available to every believer and every person who calls on the name of the Lord to empower us to do what God's called us to do. Don't compromise the truth. Numbers 23, 12, part of the same story. So he answered and said, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Balaam gets it. He's a pagan, confused prophet, and he gets it. Shouldn't we get it? I'm going to stand by the truth. I'm going to speak what God gives me to speak. I'm going to do it with compassion and love, but I'm going to stand tall as I share what God has shared with me. So they make three attempts. That's the first attempt. Let's talk quickly about the other two because my time is fleeing. Second attempt, Numbers 23, 13. Let's read it. Then Balak Balak said to him, please come with me to another place from which you may see them. Come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them. Let's not look at the whole picture. Let's not look at the whole subject. Let's not do that. Let's just look at part of this, and you're not going to see all of them. Curse them for me from there. See, the world wants us to curse what God has blessed. And the world, the world wants us to bless what God has cursed. It's topsy-turvy. So you better know what you believe, and you better know why you believe it. That's what we see here. And you'll notice they, bought, they built seven more altars. And they sacrificed more bullocks and, and rams seven more times. And so what you see here is something that happens in our culture all the time. Please follow me. Look up here for a second. People are going to try to get you to change your point of reference. You stand and you say, this is what the Lord says. Thus saith the Lord. They're going to come along and say, come on over here. 
over here, see it from this point of view. Don't look at the whole thing. The whole thing will confuse you. That's why you're not really, you know, cursing them the way I want you to curse them. If you could just see it from another point of view. You know, I raise teachers, so I understand this principle. I could give my kid a 10 p.m. curfew, and if he was going out with his buddies, he would come back to me and say, Dad, Dad, thanks for letting me go out with my buddies. The only thing is I got a 10 p.m. curfew, but my buddies are all out till midnight. And they say to you, teenagers, you know, they have good arguments. How many noticed that, right? They have great arguments. They give you an say, I'm the life of the party. The whole thing's going to fall apart if I'm not with them. Look at it from their point of view. Maybe we can alter that 10 p.m. curfew just a bit. See, somebody's always trying to get you to look at it from another point of view. Academia will do that. Oh, if you could just, look, you're a nice guy. You're a good, pretty good preacher. You know, you tell a joke once in a while. God bless. You know, they'll, they'll tell you that. They'll say, but if you could just get a little more education, if you could just get over here in this co- collegiate setting or over here in this university setting, if you could just see it from the academic point of view. And yet we have some of the most brilliant people in the world who are lifelong followers of Jesus Christ, and they're radically saved and love God. Augs Guinness, John Lennox, Ravi Zacharias. I could start naming scientists, PhDs, that love Jesus. No, no, no. The point of view, people are always going to do that. They'll say, just get a little more. You know, you're just a little unsophisticated. If you just get a little more sophisticated, come on over here with us. You'll see it from our point of view, and pretty soon you'll be cursing what God has blessed. I don't know if anybody's hearing me. A lot of people say, well, you got to catch up with history. Just get in the flow of history, brother. History's leaving you behind. (laughs) How many know who controls history? God Almighty. So as long as I'm with God, I'm in the flow of history. As long as I'm with God, I'm walking by what he wants done. And, of course, there's people with a personal preference. I love this one. Don't I have a right to be happy? You know what I say to that? I'm going to move on, but quickly. Sometimes what you think is going to make you happy isn't going to make you happy. You just think it's going to make you happy. And when you get to the end of that road, you're going to find out it didn't make you happy not one little bit. Now, that's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. And all the people said, thank you. Let's move on. Balaam reacts the same way he did before. Look at this. Incredible. One of the great scriptures in the Bible. Numbers 23, 19, 20, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. I'm not going to fight against God. I'm sorry for being so Pentecostal this morning. But I ate a pork and egg sandwich that Miss Carol brought, and it just did something to me. How many glad you eat meat? Come on, how many? Come on, I'm a meat eater. Come on. But I'm just, you know, this pagan guy understands. Shouldn't we stand by the truth? So Balak says this. Now watch this. Watch it. You're going to hear this. Listen, you're going to hear it. Balak says this in Numbers 23, 25. Then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse at all nor bless it all. He plays the neutral card. Let's not swing over here too far. We don't, look, I know you're not going to curse him. I'm starting to figure that out. 
but, but, but at least just go neutral. Don't bless them. Uh, don't stand by them. Don't, don't speak words of blessing over the things of God, the Word of God, the people of God, the church of God, the principles of God. Don't, don't, let's just keep it neutral. Why do we have to pick sides? Why do can't be friends? I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. Right? It's Barney land. It's Barney land. Let's just be friends. We don't have to scope out any positions. Let's just go with the flow on this. Oh, I got to move on. He tries the neutral card. But God's not called us to be neutral. He's called us to truth. We're heralds of the truth. I think I heard last night from Joe Naughton that one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. There are some things that are true. There are some things that are not. Third time. We already heard about the first two. The third time. Here we go, quickly. I got about five minutes. I can give you a break. Get you ready. Stay with me. Numbers 23, 27. The Balak said to Balaam, please come. I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. And you know what? They built seven more altars and offered 14 more animals. How many know the definition of insanity? To keep doing the same thing over and over again and thinking you're going to get a different result. But they kept it up. He says, let's do, come over here on this perspective. Change your point of reference. Surely you can find some place on this mountain, some place in this situation where you could at least curse something that God's blessed. Maybe just one or two verses. We're not sure about those verses anyhow. The veracity of the Scripture is a little in question among some very learned circles. So maybe we better, let's just, let's just see if we can back it all down. Balaam goes to the Lord again. Only, wait a minute, I misspoke. Look what the next verses say, 24, 1 and 2. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. It's one of the reasons why Balaam was cursed in the New Testament, and he had a bad rap because he wasn't a true prophet of God, and he kept going back trying to get a different answer from the Lord so that he could get more fame, more fortune, more momentum in his life. But when Balaam saw it, please the Lord bless Israel, it says in the Scriptures, he did not go as other times to seek to use sorcery. He finally said, I'm not going to keep seeking God. But he set his face toward the wilderness. I'm going to look into the confusion of this world. I'm going to look it in the eyes. That's where I'm going to get my prophetic mantle from. That's where I'm going to get my word from. I need to curse these people. This isn't helping my career at all. I'm known, it's on billboards all across town, as the cursing prophet. And right now, I'm not doing very good on that. I'll look at the wilderness. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to go back and seek like I did before. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. I'm convinced there's a reason why the Spirit of God came upon him. He saw the tribes camped. I wish I had the picture. I forgot to bring it. Do you know what the tribes of Israel look like when they're all in their appropriate camping style? A cross. Is that what you said? When Balaam walked out there, he didn't even know the significance of it, Brother Don. He didn't know what he was looking at. Cross hadn't even been invented. 
And yet when God told the Israelites to camp, he camped them in a certain way that formed the shape of a cross. Balaam goes out trying to ignore God and walks to the edge of the precipice looking into the wilderness, and when he looks down, he sees a cross, and the Spirit of God came upon him. It's always the cross that brings the anointing. It's always the cross of Jesus that heals the sick, blesses those that need deliverance. It's always the cross. That's the price. And he couldn't help himself. One of the greatest, most beautiful things you'll read in the Bible is in Numbers 24, 5 through 11. I'm almost done. Listen listen to these words. Balaam, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag. We know who that king is. His kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce uh, them with the, his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, he who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Under the anointing of God, God said, I'm going to bless what God has blessed. I'm going to bless his word. I'm going to bless the name of Jesus. I'm going to bless the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to bless the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to bless the little ones. I'm going to bless the older ones. I'm going to bless, bless, bless in the name of the Lord. And I'm not going to curse what God has not cursed. But I'm going to bring a blessing of God. Then Balak's answer was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. And look, you have bountifully blessed them these three days or three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you from honor. Well, I've had plenty of people tell me that in my ministry. Man, if you just go along with us. You could have done a lot better. Don't get so deep in that word thing. Don't get so heavy in the spirit. Do you have to really be a tongues talker? Really? Do you have to? You'd get in a lot better circles if you weren't that person. No, I don't think the circles are any better than the people I'm hanging up with right here. I'm going to stand by the truth, are you? I'm going to stand by the truth, are you? In your life, in your ministry, in in the things you share. Always with compassion and love. But let's stand by the truth. Let's all stand. Thank you guys for listening to me this morning for a few minutes. And I just want my wife to testify that I do happy sermons sometimes. Lisa, is that true? Seems like every time I speak to the fellowship, it's something kind of heavy. I don't know why. But, but, but you know what? I, I don't think I got too far off of what God's word is for all of us today. Let's just find a way to honor him in all we do. I want to give you a little break. We're going to pray briefly. Then Mark's going to come, get right back in, but take a break of some water stuff. Then we'll show a video before we go into the luncheon. It's going to be exciting, wonderful. Thank God for it, and we'll give you a few more directions in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your love, for the church, for these people. Let your spirit move in our hearts, Lord, and motivate us to walk with you each day and honor you. Thank you that you've sent a blessing 
to all who will receive it. Not a curse. You sent a blessing to all who will receive it. And we are the carriers of the blessing. We contain the blessing. Help us to have a smile on our face, a spring in our step, and to go everywhere challenging people to love God and to serve Jesus. Thank you, God. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you so much.